All right, if you got a Bible, we're gonna be in two primary texts today, one in the New Testament, one in the Old Testament, Hebrews chapter 13, and then Jeremiah chapter six. And so if you don't know where those are, feel free to use your coordinates. Uh, ain't no judgment here, all right? Um, but Hebrews is in the end of your Bible towards the back of the New Testament, and then Jeremiah is in the prophet section of the Old Testament. And we are wrapping up this series of messages that we've been in now. This is the third week called Leading a legacy. We've been having a conversation about the concept of legacy and how all of us should think about the legacy of our lives. Not because that is some kind of selfish endeavor to think about and how we want people to praise us when we're dead, but what we're saying is we do want a legacy that is worth repeating for generations to come. Because God has given us the command, as we saw in the very first week in Psalm chapter 78, to teach what we have learned two generations to come. And then last week we talked about how we better have a pattern that's worth repeating because it is going to be repeated whether we want it to be or not. So we better make sure it's worth repeating. And, and we left off, and if you aren't here, I'll recap it quickly for you, but even if you were, we left off with the concept that no matter how far into our life we are now, we can start to build a different legacy today. And what I wanna do today is try to be as insanely practical as I can. And by insanely, I don't mean crazy, all right? I just mean, that I don't really know what I mean. I just wanna be really practical, all right? I wanna be so practical that as we wrap up this message series that you leave with some handles, if you will, to think about how to start leading a legacy. And so that's what we're gonna see in Hebrews chapter 13 and then Jeremiah chapter six. So let's go. Verses seven through nine in Hebrews chapter 13 is where we're gonna start. We'll be there for a while. Like I said, we'll go to Jeremiah chapter six. It says this in Hebrews 13, seven. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now on the surface, I recognize that this text specifically applies to me in a unique way. Because this text here is telling you, the church, and I'm a part of the church too, but it is telling you to listen or remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. And in case you're confused about what we're doing here, that's what I'm doing, all right? I'm speaking to you the word of God. And so you are to remember those who spoke, spoke the word of God to you. And then it says this, and this is the part that is pretty crazy. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Now, the reason why on the surface, like I said, this is um, re really kind of hits me is because my job is not to just speak the word of God to you. Yes, that is part of my job. But according to this text, it's not my only job. Because the worst thing in the world I can do is speak the word of God to you, but not speak the word of God to myself. And there's a lot of pastors who have grown into this concept that they have spoken the word of God to other people, but they haven't spoken the word of God to themselves. And what I mean by that is they're not living what they're saying. They're not smoking what they're selling. And, and the idea of that, that's a little too ghetto for you, I'm sorry, all right? But the idea of that is not only am I commanded to preach the word of God to you, but I'm commanded to live a life that's worth imitating. 
to live a life that's worth imitating. Now that's pretty crazy. This is like what Paul said to Timothy last week if you were here. Follow the pattern of the sound words you've heard from me. And then teach it to others. And so we saw four generations of legacy of, of Paul's pattern being passed down. And now here Hebrews is telling us, you should look at people like me and consider the outcome of my way of life and then imitate it. Now in this text specifically, most scholars think that it's referring to a group of leaders that have already passed on, that have already passed away. They used to lead them. They were speaking the the word of God to them and then they passed away. And so the believers had an entire life to look at. They saw the faithfulness of their leaders all the way to the very end and then thought, okay, I want to end in the same way that my leaders did. They saw it from beginning to end. And and that is very, very helpful. We'll get to that more as we wrap this up. But the idea of thinking about, man, I need to learn from people who have gone before me. I need to learn from people. I need to watch people and see how they live their life and not just that, how did they end their life? And what I mean by that is, how did they live up until the end, and then is it worth imitating? Now, for good or bad, I don't know yet, I'm still alive. I admit that to be a joke, all right? But, uh, (laughs) and what I mean by that is, I haven't passed on yet, and so you are still looking at my life to think, okay, We don't know how this cat's going to end. We don't know, is he going to go crazy in his later years, and is he going to be worth imitating? But you can at least, watch this, you can at least start to discern patterns, can't you? You can at least start to see, okay, he's headed this direction, or he's headed that direction, and it looks like he's going to go here. And and so the jury's still out on whether or not I'm going to be worth following up until my death, But the principle is still the same. And the principle is simply this. Remember I told you I'm trying to be practical. You and I need to consider the outcomes of our ways of life. We need to consider the outcomes. Examine, think about. And the way of life, this phrase way of life, is just another way of saying your behaviors, your conduct, the way you live. Here's the, the hard part about living, is we have to live before we die. Now, that may sound strange to you, and what I mean by that is this. We don't get the joy of knowing that the way that we're living is actually going to end up the way we want when we die, and so we're somehow guessing, or dare I say, walking in faith to say, okay, I'm going to live my life this way, and I'm banking on the fact that it's going to turn out this way. So in some sense, we're gambling. And what I mean by that is not in a negative sense, but what I'm saying is you are having to make decisions now that you're thinking, okay, I think it's going to end me up here. And again, the problem with life is we don't know. How much easier would it be if we lived life from death? Like, okay, I know how it ends. So now I'm going to live my life in light of what I know works and what I know doesn't work. Well, that wouldn't require any faith. But here's what I'm trying to get you to think. 
What if this were your last day? How would you live? What if whatever circumstance, whatever way of life you have right now is the way of life you would pass on to other people? Is it worth repeating? Or are you thinking, oh, I'll just fix that in the future? Oh, I'll get to that later. See, people who live like that are people who never stop long enough to consider the outcomes, to think, okay, here's where I want to go. Here's how I want to end. Now, this is simply called reverse engineering. How do I need to act now to get where I want to go then? And what's amazing to me is business books outside of the Bible have picked up on this. One of the more famous ones teaches this principle. Begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind. That is fantastic advice. And it is advice that we find right here in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. Consider the outcome. See, the biggest mistake you and I make when it comes to legacies, when it comes to leading our lives, is we make such short-term decisions. We don't consider the outcome of, oh, if I make this choice, where will that get me? So the first thing that we can do, again, I'm trying to be practical for you, is to think about, okay, what is the outcome that we want? What is the outcome that we want? What is the ending that we want? What, what outcome is my way of life gonna get me to? And then what do I need to do to get there? And see, this is where, again, the charge for me and really any of those of us that are in leadership and understand something, parenting is leadership, is to live a life in such a way where the outcomes of our lives will be worth repeating for others, where the outcomes of our life will be worth imitating for others. So the best thing in the world we can do is think about, man, what is the outcome? What is the ending of this? What is my way of life? What is the direction? And is that direction worth repeating? So consider the outcome. Now he goes on in verse eight and nine in a way that at first is quite striking to me, but I'll explain it to you. Verse eight, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. Now, it's interesting to me, in verse 7, he's talking about your leaders. Remember your leaders. Consider the outcomes of their way of life. Imitate their faith. And then the very next verse, he says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, on the surface, when you're looking at that, you're like, oh, hold on, I thought we were talking about leaders. I thought we were talking about how we are supposed to consider the outcome of their way of life. And then now you're making a theological statement about Jesus. How does this fit together? Well, it fits together perfectly. And here's why. Because the outcome that those leaders had, remember, it's those who spoke the word of God to you, the outcome that those leaders had or were working for was Jesus. 
Let me say it to you like this. The best leaders are those who lead people to build their lives on what doesn't change. The best leaders are the people who lead other people to lead their lives on what doesn't change, to build their lives on a solid foundation. And so the connection between verse eight and verse seven is, do you wanna know what the teaching was that those leaders taught? It was that Jesus is the same. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when it comes to building our lives, when it comes to building the outcomes that we want, we better make sure that what we're building on is a solid foundation, correct? Because we could build this whole life, as Jesus said, on the sand, and it falls away. In fact, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down, and I'll unpack it more from these verses. We cannot base our identity on anything that changes. A mentor of mine named Daniel Henderson said this, wrote a book called Deeper Life. I would highly recommend it to you. I've recommended it before. But we cannot base our identity on anything that changes. See, think about this. The ending is so important that literally the ending determines our next beginning in eternity. And if I'm building my life on something that's changing, and it's not the same yesterday, today, and forever, that I can't be sure it's actually gonna get me to the ending that I want. So when we're considering the outcomes of our ways of life, the very first thing we need to consider is, what is the outcome of this, this way of life that I have now, and is it strong enough to hold my identity forever? Now, here's what's really interesting to me, and, and let me dig into something here that, honestly, before this morning when I was studying this, I hadn't thought about even saying, but as I was looking back over these verbs, these words, something jumped out at me in verse eight in this text. You know, we are having a lot of conversations in our culture right now about identity, primarily around younger people, although it's not just younger people, and what are we building our identities on? And those of us who have gone through our teenage years already, we remember how confusing it can be because our identity is so much based upon the groups that we're a part of. And the one thing that culture is always doing is changing. And one of the cultural revolutions that we're currently going through right now is building our identity on our sexualities. And it's fascinating to me that we have gotten to a place as a culture where that identity becomes the core definition of who we are. And also that identity has gone through a revolution such that it is no longer a stable one that's not changing. It is one that we now call, it's fluid. And here's what jumped off the page at me as I was reading this this morning. In verse eight, when it says Jesus Christ is the same, that word they're the same, this is fascinating to me, is a personal pronoun. 
Literally, it could read like this. Jesus Christ is he yesterday, today, and forever. He is always who he is. And we're having these crazy conversations today about what are our personal pronouns. And it is a conversation, and I understand it's sensitive, and I'm trying to be sensitive, but it is a conversation about our identities and how they are tied to our personal pronouns and how they are changing rapidly. And people think, well, the Bible has nothing to say about this. Well, what's interesting to me is what the Bible describes about Jesus is he's always he. It's never changing. And so here's my plea with you. As we're having conversations about our identities, please, Do not build it on something that changes. Because if you build your identity on something that changes, that is fluid, then it can't be trusted forever. And what's amazing to me is Jesus talks about when we get to heaven, there will be no more need for human marriage relationships. And so therefore, the thing that we built our identity on will not even exist in heaven. But you know what will exist in heaven? Jesus. So I'm not not trying to beat up on people who are changing their identities. What I'm saying is just don't build it on something that's changing. Because if you build your core identity on something that is changing, then it can't lead to a solid foundation in your life forever. But Jesus can because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We can't base our identity on anything that's changing, which verse nine is interesting to me, again, in the context of what we're just saying. He says, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. I would dare to say, that the primary teachings of our culture today are diverse and strange. Diverse and strange because they're popping up from a cultural milieu of an ethos, a way of thinking that is saying we're rejecting everything that God says that was true forever and we're making our own truth and what was true is now not true and what was right is now left and it is just We're going through this cultural upheaval like what most of us have never experienced in our lives. And here's my plea to you who have bought into that teaching. What's the outcome of it? Where does it lead us to? What is the outcome of that way of life? See, the plea of the Hebrews is don't build your life on anything that changes because you can't know the outcome. But if you and I will stop long enough and build our life on something that doesn't change, which is Jesus, we can know the outcome because Jesus' outcome was fixed even though he died, yet he rose again. He's alive We know his way of life gets us to life. What we don't know 
is what is this current culture's way of life outcome? And will it get us to life? Just something to think about. Now let's move on to Jeremiah chapter six. Jeremiah chapter six. Now I understand that may have got a little heavier than even I expected it to, and that's all right. And we can have conversations about that if that would be helpful to you. Jeremiah chapter six, verse 13 through 16. And remember, I'm trying to be practical. So first consider the outcome. The second thing I would say based upon what we're about to read in Jeremiah chapter six, verse 13, is you have to start where you are. Look at verse 13. It says, from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not ashamed at all. They did not know how to blush. Talk about you want to describe our culture. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At the time I punish them, they shall be overthrown. Now, don't miss this. Jeremiah is describing his culture. And this culture existed about 3,000 years ago. But let me ask you a thought question. Could that description describe our culture today? I think so. From the least to the, let me read it again. From the least to the greatest, every one of them is greedy for unjust gain. Is that pretty much how everybody acts? And from the prophet to the priest, Ruh-Roh, everyone deals falsely. Even prophets and priests, even pastors, people that are committed, that are charged with living a life that is worthy of being repeated, are greedy and are after unjust gain. There's never been more distrust, I think, towards those in religious leadership than today. And, and to some degree, I understand it because there have been some quackadoos. One of the worst inventions ever was Christian television. My goodness. Now, I'm not ragging everybody that's on Christian TV. I'm just saying the freaks come out at night. <laughs> and, and you have these people that are peddling these versions of the gospel that are more about their gain than it is your gain. And then verse 14, it says, they have healed the wound of my people lightly. What does that mean? Well, let me give you another translation, the Living Bible, Jeremiah six fourteen. I have it here on the screen. Here's how it explains it. You can't heal a wound by saying it's not there. Yet the priests and prophets give assurance of peace when all is war. One of the biggest heartbreaks to me is not that our culture is going the direction that it is. I'm not surprised by that because Jeremiah's culture went that way. Human culture, you know, people believe in the theory of evolution, and I'm fine with microevolution, how we change over time. One species changes over time. It's the macro that's a problem, and that's because of science. And, and so the idea of evolution, but what people think is that we evolve into something higher. What I would say is, have you ever watched humans? 
They devolve. We don't evolve into this way of like, oh, we're so much smarter and nicer and kinder. Has technology made us all nicer and kinder and more patient? No. It's only brought out our worst instincts and now we got keyboard warriors. And we've devolved into this cesspool of humanity. And again, I'm not surprised by that. If you are, you just haven't been around humans long enough. Here's what I am surprised by though. What I am surprised by is how many supposedly Christian leaders have come out and baptized the way of life that the culture is preaching. I am surprised by how many teachers and preachers and prophets and priests have come out and said, oh, that's no big deal. He says, they've healed the wounds of my people lightly. You know what that means? It means there have been prophets and priests and unfortunately pastors that have said, oh, the way of life of this current culture, it's not sin. It's okay. And this is why my commitment to you from now and as long as I have sanity is to never do that. Because this diverse and strange teaching that we are currently in as a culture, you don't know the outcome of it, but I do know the outcome of this word. And so I'm gonna build my life, I'm gonna do everything I can to build this church on the word, which is Jesus, that never changes. Thank you, I appreciate that, but that wasn't necessary. But, but all I'm saying to you is this. You're like, hold on, I thought we were talking about legacy here. You're like jumping off into the deep end of theology. Yeah, because the most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. Here's where I'm going. Remember I told you first you gotta consider the outcome. Second thing is this, you gotta start where you are. Let me give you another quote by a guy who in his early years was pretty great, in his later years, not so much. So don't go read everything that he writes. He is a Catholic and he was really solid early and he's kind of gotten a little crazy, but this was early. His name is Richard Rohr. I have it on the screen. He said this, you cannot heal what you do not first acknowledge. You cannot heal what you do not first acknowledge. See, what I'm trying to get you to see is I'm trying to get you to think about outcomes, remember? I'm trying to get you to think about legacy. But you will not leave a legacy. You will not have the outcomes that you want if you start in fairy tale land. Here's what I mean by that. You can only start where you are, not where you're not. You wanna know why a lot of people never change the outcome of their life? Is because they keep denying reality where they are. My friends, reality is your friend. Let me say it to you like this. If you keep acting like it's not that big a deal, you won't make a change. 
See, that was the problem that Jeremiah was calling out, that God was calling out through the prophet Jeremiah. He's saying, even my priests are telling the people, oh, your wound is not that bad. That's what in the ESV it said. He said, they have healed the wound of my people lightly. You wanna know what that means? They're putting Band-Aids over bullet holes. And they're saying, no, 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 you don't have a mortal wound. <laughs> You're like the Black Knight in Monty Python saying, it's just a flesh wound. <laughs> Merely a flesh wound, it's just a scratch. If you've never watched Mighty Python, I don't know what you're doing with your life. I gotta be honest with you. It's fantastic. Riding on horses with coconuts. And if you think I'm crazy, I might be. But there's this fight between two knights, and one knight <laughs> literally is trying to cross this bridge, and a black knight is there and says, You can't cross, which he could just like walk 10 feet over and go. It's just ridiculous. But he, and it's horrible movie cinema, but he hits his shoulder with the sword and his arm like falls off and it's just bleeding. And he was like, fight is over. And he's like, no, it's merely a flesh wound. And then he cuts off his other arm and then he can't fight. And he starts trying to headbutt him and kick. And then he cuts off his leg. Then he cuts off his other leg and he's sitting there and he's like, come back, I'll bite your kneecaps. And I thought, what a great picture of our culture. Our culture is acting like the current way of life is but merely a flesh wound. And what I'm trying to say to you is this, if you keep thinking that where you are is not that bad, then you'll never make a change to lead you to where you wanna go. This is what stops most people from leaving a legacy that's worth repeating. Because we know, until the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of changing, you won't change. We know this. Which is why God sends crises in our lives. I told you this through the pandemic, the word Literally, for judgment in the Greek is literally the word crisis. So crises become forms of judgment. And God is so holy and so just and watches so loving that he will not let us get away with things that we think are going to lead us to a different outcome, but they won't because that would be unloving. It would be unloving for God to let us to continue to live the way that we live, knowing it is not headed for the outcome that we want, which is life forever with him, without bringing crisis and judgment and pain in our lives, saying, wake up. We need to make a change. So here's as practical as I can make it. Consider the outcome of where you want to go and be honest about where you are. Let me say something else about church. I've said this before many times, but I didn't grow up going to church. And I got saved as a teenager. And when I got saved, I didn't know all the religious rules. Again, I didn't know that we wore pantsuits and covers on our Bible and we lied about our sins. I didn't know that. 
And so I would, for real, I would show up in like Sunday school and start confessing. And all the people were like, you did what with what? Well, I, th- I thought this is when we confessed. And they started looking at me like I had five heads because a good Christian person was never supposed to confess that kind of stuff. You know, we just confess the little sins. Like, oh yeah, I had a bad thought. We don't confess the big ones, right? But you wanna know why most church people never see transformation in their life? It's because they show up to church and they play games. They keep denying reality about what's really going on because the thought process of, well, if I'm honest about how sinful I am, you all would kick me out of church. We've tried really hard to build Revolution Church on a different rock. We've tried really hard to build Revolution Church on the gospel, which means the only thing necessary to be saved is to be a sinner. So therefore, you and I don't have to run from the fact that we are sinners. We can be honest about it. See, this will revolutionize your relationships. I'm not saying go home and confess to your spouse everything you've ever done wrong because they may throw your clothes out on the street. What I am saying though is this, we better confess to somebody. Not everybody needs to know everything, but somebody needs to know everything. Because you and I are only as sick as the secrets we keep. And all I'm saying is, hey guys, if we're gonna leave a legacy, let's be honest about where we are. Because you understand how GPS works, right? GPS geolocates you to say, you are here, you need to go there. How insane is it to GPS locate, well, I want to go there, but I'm actually starting from over there, but not really. Say, get me to work from home but I'm not home. I mean, if Siri could talk back to us, it would be like, you're stupid. (laughs) Tell me where you really are. Do you think God is any different? Maybe this Christmas season, God is just waiting for you and I to be honest with him about where we really are. Quit treating it lightly. Be straight up. You see, I can't get to where I'm going, where I need to go, if I don't start where I am. And I love you enough as a pastor to say, you're actually worse than you thought. How does that make you feel? You are worse than you thought. But because of the gospel, hear me, church, you are more loved than you ever hoped. And that can motivate you 
to start where you are. Let's do the last verse, verse 16. You say, okay, I'm gonna consider the outcome of where I wanna go. I need to start where I am. Well, how do I get there? I'm glad you asked. It's almost like the Lord gave us the answer. Look at verse 16. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. The very first part of that verse says, thus says the Lord. Now, again, this is coming from Jeremiah. If you know anything about Old Testament prophets, when the prophets would speak, they would speak like this as though it was God speaking. Now, so many times, listen to me, church, so many times when we hear statements like, thus says the Lord, we interpret that somehow like God is mad at us. And I'm not saying he's not, but what I want you to see that actually when God speaks to us, it is God not out of his madness speaking, but out of his mercy. Anytime the Bible says, thus says the Lord, that is an act of mercy to you. Because the worst thing, listen to me, the worst thing is not for God to say something to you. The worst thing is for God to say nothing to you. If you can remember times in your childhood, at least I can, I don't know about you, but there was times where I made my dad mad and he pulled out the belt and he spanked me and I deserved it. But then there was times I made my dad mad that he said, I'm so mad, I can't even talk to you right now. And I thought, oh gosh, I done did it. I silenced my father. And he would say, you just sit in your room and think about what you did. And it'll be like, no, no, spank me, spank me. Don't make me do that. It was his silence that communicated. Why? Because it was separating. The fact that my father kept speaking to me and kept disciplining me was an act of mercy to me. My friends, you should not be concerned when you see verses like this that say, thus says the Lord, you should be concerned when he's not saying anything to you. Because the fact that, listen, the fact that he still chose to speak to these stiff-necked people, and that's what the Bible calls them, was an act of mercy to them. The fact that he still spoke was God being gracious. So listen to me. If you're here today listening to the sound of my voice, this could be God's act of mercy to you saying, listen, and listen to what he says. Stand by the roads, look, ask, walk, find rest. As I was thinking about that this week, about being practical, if you know me, I love acronyms. You know, our whole mission, love Jesus, grow people, grows an acronym, gospel relationships, obedience works, and I just love it because it's a mnemonic device to help you memorize things. And so as I was thinking about this, I was like, man, I want to be super practical with people. I want to help them get handles around this. How do we do this? And so I thought, I oh, know, I'll come up with an acronym. So I thought of the two words in the series title. You know, first I thought of legacy. I was like, all right, how can I make an acronym out of legacy? Learn, <clears throat> evaluate, act. You know what? Now I'm like, oh, that's too long. And then I thought, okay, what about the word lead? 
Still has an L, has an E. <clears throat> and and, and it, it was really kind of just feeling forced to me. And I was like, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to stick with the word of God. And as I read the word of God in Jeremiah 6, verse 16, it's a sickness. An acronym jumped out at me. For real. But I think it's one you will remember because we're in the South. Stand, look, ask, walk. Slaw. <laughs> Slaw. I told you. You remember it. Because I love some barbecue, right? And as a kid, I hated coleslaw. It was all like chopped up and like, it's like, can I have some cabbage with my mayonnaise, please? <laughs> but then as I have gone to more refined barbecue places, and <laughs> I actually love slaw now. Cabbage is really good for you. And I thought, there it is right there. And let me break it down for you. First, he says, stand. Stand by the roads. Now, what does that mean? It means to stop. Normally, what we do on roads is not stand, right? We drive on them. And one of the biggest reasons, listen to me, church, one of the biggest reasons why you never consider the outcome of your way of life is because you don't stop long enough to actually consider it. The mantra of our day is when we ask, how you doing? What do we all say? Busy. I'm busy. And, and we use it as a badge of honor. Man, I'm so busy. I got meetings after meetings. I am busy. Oh, if God would have just given us 30 hours in a day, we would have filled those up too. The problem with our modern culture is we're so busy, we never have time to just be. We're busy bees. Never take time to just be. It's interesting to me that over 2,500 years ago, God says, listen, you gotta learn to stand. You gotta learn to stop. And you gotta look. That's the L. Stand by the road, look. Now notice he said stand by the road because what are roads? They are directions that get us to destinations. So if we don't stop long enough, evaluate where we are, and ask ourselves this question, where is this road taking me? We'll never consider the outcome. So we have to build into our rhythm what the Bible calls Sabbath. Have you ever wondered why God made Sabbath? On the seventh day, he, what, anybody know? He rested. He didn't make it because he was tired. He made it because he knew we would be tired. And it was intentional so that every seven days you were stopped and looking at your direction. That's what it's for. And so we're trying to practice what we preach, so here's what we're gonna do. If you've been around Revolution, this is not a surprise to you, but if you're new, I want you to understand what the next couple weeks are gonna look like. 
We have Christmas gatherings. You heard that just a second ago. Coming up, we have five in Canton, three in Jasper, three online, so a total of 11. I preached three gatherings this week. I'm about to preach five. So in a seven-day period, I will preach eight times. I've told you this before, but a 30-minute sermon is the equivalent of adrenaline of one car wreck. So I'm about to go through eight car wrecks this week. Well, I can't live, keep having wrecks in my life, and be healthy. So we have to build in time to rest. So one of the things we've always done is we take off the last weekend of the year, every year. Well, this weekend, just the way the calendar works, we have you know Christmas gatherings coming up. Christmas is on Saturday. So next Sunday, the 26th, we'll have online-only gatherings. And we do have a special online gathering that, that's our year in review. You don't want to miss it. I promise it's going to be great. But then that next week, our whole staff, our offices are closed. And we're actually taking off that Thursday and January 2nd as well. And here's why. We're calling it a Sabbath Sunday. Kids go back to school two days later. We're calling it a Sabbath Sunday because we want our church to stop, to stand, to look, to evaluate because we have just come through the end of one year and the beginning of the next year. And we need to ask ourselves the question, Did I like how I ended up in 2021? And this applies to every area. Did I like my attitude? Did I like the number on the scale? Rut row. Did I like my bank account balance? Did I like my relationships? Oh my goodness, did I like me? Am I proud? of the outcome of my life in 2021. And then we have a chance to make a difference to say, well, in 2022, I'm gonna get on a different road. You say, well, how do I end up in the next place I want to? I'm glad you ask. A, ask. Ask for the ancient paths. I love how he says this, where the good way is. Ask. Here's what I find to be amazing. Every outcome I want in my life, someone before me has already achieved it. Someone before me had a long, fruitful marriage. Someone before me retired well. Someone before me lived and died a very generous person. Someone before me had kids and grandkids that were walking with Jesus. Someone before me pastored a church faithfully for decades. Our greatest problem is we don't stop long enough to ask. I'll never forget my BSM, if you don't know what that is, my Baptist Student Ministries director in college said this, he said, Jason, everyone is your superior in at least one area. And I thought, man, what a great word. And what he meant by that is I can learn something from everyone because everyone is smarter than me in at least one area. 
So what I'm saying to us is if you want a different legacy, if you want a different outcome, stop, stand long enough, look, and ask. And you can ask dead people by reading their books, reading their biographies, and you can ask alive people. So I wanna encourage you, take an honest stock of where you are. Look at your life and say, okay, I wanna get out of debt in 2022. Who are some wise people that I can learn from? There are wise people in this church that are brilliant in handling finances. We can hook you up with some of them. There are resources you can get your hands on so that at the end of 2022, you could have a different outcome if you're just willing to ask. And I love how he says to ask where the good way is. The good way. Friends, God wants more good for you than you even know to ask him for. There are good ways. And everything I've told you today, even about building your identity on something that doesn't change is a good way. Which then leads to the W. Walk in it. Walk in it. It does us no good if we stop we look and we ask, and then we don't walk in it. Very simple, four-step process. So go eat you some slaw. You'll never forget it. In fact, I pray that one day you're eating barbecue years from now, and you're eating slaw, and you're like, Dad, come on, I need to think about the outcome of my life. You might even need to start evaluating the place that you're eating the slaw from. <laughs> Do I really need to come here seven times a week? Do I really need the nanner pudding each time? <laughs> you see how insanely practical this is? And it's almost like God put it in the Bible for you. Stand, look, ask. Walk. This is how we create new legacies, people. This is how we create new legacies. And God, listen to me, God loves you enough to give you this act of mercy right now for you to hear this word. Thus says the Lord, consider the outcome of your way of life Consider the outcome of my way of life. You may leave here today and think that joker's crazy. I'm never coming back. That's okay. But before you did that, I would honestly love to sit down and have a conversation with you and let's compare outcomes. Because I don't care what strange and diverse teaching is out in our universities and in our culture. I'm going to go with the one that never changes. I'm going to build my life on the word that never changes. That's the same yesterday, today, and forever because my life and your life is too valuable. It's too valuable to build it on something that you don't know will hold you for eternity. Let's pray. Father, 
Thank you for your word. It is so timely. And God, I I know messages like this really challenge us. And as I said a few weeks ago, all teaching is tied to someone. So it is really helpful for us to stop and to think, where did I hear that? Who told me that? Is this true about your word? Because God, the worst thing in the world that we could do is build our life on a word that doesn't live forever. On a teaching that changes with the weather. God, I pray right now that you would encourage us all, that you would empower us all by the Spirit to consider the outcomes of our way of life. To slow down, to look, to ask people that have gone before us where the good way is, and then we would walk in it. God, the saddest part of that whole verse in verse 16 is when they said back to Jeremiah, we will not walk in it. God, I pray right now for anybody who has had that mentality that you would overcome their resistance to you and save them. Open their eyes to see the truth about who Jesus is and save them. No one looking around or talking here as we close. If you've never trusted in Jesus, if you've never come to a decision point, a crossroads, where you've honestly evaluated the direction and outcome of your life. But you have today. And you want a new outcome. You want to build your life on Jesus. Then you can be saved. Very simple. You can pray with me. You don't have to do it out loud. It goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me. That you sent your son, Jesus, to come into our world to make a new way. And I trust now that Jesus is the way. And I ask you to forgive me. I confess I'm a sinner. Would you save me? Thank you for loving me. Again, nobody looking around or talking, but If you just pray to trust Jesus and you're in one of our locations, would you just simply lift up your hand so we can see that? Thank you. We got men and women gonna walk around, put a gift in your hand. Don't be ashamed, man. It's the greatest day of your life. When they do, you can put it down. In just a moment, you can fill out our digital connection card, whether you're in person or online, and let us know who you are. But now those that have trusted Jesus and those of us who had already trusted Jesus today, I pray over this next week and a half as we take time, one, to worship during our Christmas gatherings, and then two, to rest. I pray that you, like myself, will take some time and consider the outcomes. Because the Bible says, if you'll stop, you'll look, you'll ask, and you'll walk in his ways, you will find rest for your souls. Listen, 
Rest for your souls is knowing that your way works. The reason why so many of us are anxious is we're not confident in the ways that we're walking. But if the ways that we are walking are ancient and they're in the ways of Jesus, we don't have to be anxious about the outcomes because we know them. They're fixed. And so I encourage all of us to take time over this season to stand at the roads, look long enough, ask, and then walk. If we walk in the ways of Jesus, we will find rest, and then we will have a pattern that's worth repeating. Father, I pray that you would apply these words to our heart and make it come true. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.